It's Tuesday, March 15th, and you're listening to a brand new, inconsistently released episode of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. On today's episode, comedian and actor Ryan Horwood. This is a good one. You're going to enjoy it. I've got Ryan and so much more. All that starts now. Attack. I've been, I've been struggling with the editing, editing part of this thing. I need some somebody to edit these things for me. It's too daunting. Just to put it piece together, I need maybe somebody. And uh, that's what's that's what's keeping these re- consistent releases. Anyway, welcome to the Julian Dion Comedy Hour podcast. You're listening to a brand new episode. Like I said off the top, you know this. You know it. Thanks for listening, and like I should say, <laughs> coming at you from London Press Studios in the Distillery District, downtown Toronto. Hi. Hi, hi, hi. Uh, how you doing today? Good? Are you? Uh, oh, good. Good. I'm uh, sitting here, London Press Studios. Got a good episode today, Ryan Horwood, comedian, actor, friend, uh, this is a good one for any uh, comics or or actors out there, new actors. Ryan's been in the acting game for upwards of, I think he said 14 years. And he's got a lot of good advice. So listen up, new actors. Uh, these zen and the art of acting. Zen and the art of managing your expectations within show business with Ryan Horwood. Today... Um, yes, this is March 15th. These episodes have been, this is only the second episode this year. They're, they're, look, I've, I love the interview part. I do interviews. I, I bring people here. I've got a lot in the can, a lot of good ones to come. I love doing the monologue part. I like talking to you one-on-one. I like most everything about the podcast. The only thing that's tedious and hard for me to to consistently get into is the editing editing part. I'll edit that out. No, I won't. I won't edit it out. Edit it out. Edit it. Do, do. That's the thing. I need maybe like a student of broadcasting or someone that's studying sound editing. Maybe I'll approach George Brown College here in Toronto. See if someone wants to do this for me. It's because each episode is about four hours. And it's fine once I get started, but I have this major pro- procrastination issue where I just I can't seem to get started on it. That, and I'm also extremely busy being successful at things. <laughs> oh, God. 
can you are you out there are you a student listening to this willing to well, the reason I say student is because I will pay you in my company all right anyway uh, welcome and thanks for listening thanks to the people sending messages asking where episodes are and and re-listening to old episodes and sending feedback quick shout outs my sisters uh, Bridget and Mary Jo I know they listen and they send me feedback anytime there's either a new episode or Mary Jo's been listening to some backlog catalog back catalog and uh, I appreciate it that was, that's what keeps me going shout out to Al Cormier Matt Carter these are people a couple people that come to mind right now that have sent messages over the last little bit either praising the podcast or asking where the hell are the new episodes well they're coming they're here you're listening to one right now and so I'm excited to bring you, <laughs> I couldn't even say excited with enthusiasm because I think of the editing process. Like I said, each episode is about four hours. I'm sure that it could be done faster. I just, I don't know. I got to get, I got to get, I got to figure this out. Whatevs, McGevs. I think uh, so I've been, a couple of things I want to get to. Uh... This is one. I'm 32 years old, which is which is young, right? It's not old by any stretch. Unless you're 19 listening to this and you think 32 is old, wait till you get there. It's very young. And uh, but I find I think I I think I may look older to other in other people's eyes than I do in my own. Here's what I'm trying to say. I've noticed recently. I've been meeting people. Maybe maybe I'll meet a guy and he's he's balding or whatnot, and I'm like, that guy's got to be, he's got to have 10 years on me at least. And then I find out he's like, no, 30, 31. I, I meet people all the time. And in my head, I go, oh, they're much, much older than I am. And then they tell me their age. It's either the same or younger. So I think I might look just way older to other people than I do. in my Because in my eyes, I feel and look, maybe not look, but I definitely feel... The same that I did when I was 19. I, I don't feel like I've matured since then much. I don't feel like that much has changed intellectually. I'm sure it has. Obviously, I hope it has. But I don't feel it. I feel like I can relate to the ki- the young kids, you know? The, uh, you know, I can relate to you. If you're listening to this and you're 18, 19, 20, I got you. We're the same. But yet, yet I'll be- meet people my age and I'm like, oh, th- these are my peers What's happening? Why am I not real seeing this? What's happening? Am I coming across? Do you get it? Do you get what I'm saying? Or I'll meet someone that I just I don't know. I'll just I'll meet these people on a daily basis, and I'm consistently older than them. But I definitely think right away. Oh yeah, like at least I don't know. I just um, see the eyes, the world through the eyes of a rosy. 19 year old I don't know what any of this means am I confusing oh my flip phone just went off hold on let me silence this thing as you know I have a flip phone and uh here it is oh yeah there it is right there it's uh, going off I find myself being self-conscious about the flip phone where anytime I whip it out in public I have to justify that I had to I have to explain oh no I had an iPhone I still do Still in the box. I have an iPhone 5. I'm not a weird poor person. Uh, you know, this is this is by choice. I've got credit. Good credit. And, uh, 
even even I actually now find myself feeling weird about saying I have an iPhone 5. That's how things move fast. Or how fast move things. That's how fast things move? What's happening to me? What is happening? Also, I feel like a drug dealer. Either like I have to justify to people that I'm not poor or that I'm not uh, selling meth. Like I feel like I should answer every phone call frantically over an open, you know, toilet tank. You know, the top part. I feel like I should, app like taking it out of a baggie, like a double bagged Ziploc bag case. That's my case. That's what, that's what I should carry it around in a Ziploc and just open it in bathroom stalls with the tank open. Jesse! Jesse! It's a Breaking Bad reference. For uh, those that didn't uh, get that. Oh, you may have noticed some uh, specific porn background noises off the top. There's a reason for that. Let me play you this. All right, so as you know, my sound... My sound guy, my jingle guy, Mike Bennett, who's, he's the best. He's come up with uh, all of my jingles for the show. He's very talented, and he churns them over really quick. I'll call him, I'll give him an idea, like, I have this idea for a segment. Can you do this thing? And within a day or two, he'll have this thing. He's brilliant. He's episode two guest, Mike Bennett. Super talented musician, singer, songwriter. And uh, so this is one that, this is one jingle you may have heard on the show before. Let me play it here. Hold on. Uh, where is it? Ba -ba 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 -ba. Here it is. Okay, I'm going to play this to you. Then I'm going to compare a couple sound bites for you. So you've definitely heard this jingle before. Sometimes when I get into weird conversation with a guest or even in the monologue, if I get off color, I'll, I'll throw in this little disclaimer. I'll say, hold on. Uh, let me play this for you. You know, this would be so much better if you were high. Right? If you were high. You've heard this on the show. Wait for it. If you were high. Okay. Particularly this last part. Right there. Okay, that little... That little kind of fiesta, fiesta music. And then this came across, someone sent me this, and I want you to listen carefully for the sound bite. Here it is. Up, playing it. Okay. Same sound bite, you recognize that. Cut to bed, couple. Hey, good morning. Good morning. Acting <laughs> poorly. The sun came in the window and woke me up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have to shoot today. That's to shoot. I wonder what she's going to uh -huh. shoot. I was wondering. Little kiss. Um, yeah, yeah, again. 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 Right. right dick in the mouth immediately. Mm. Instant. M to D. Mm. Without hesitation. Mm. And so mm -hmm. we get it. So that's what you were hearing mm -hmm. off the top. This is going to town. And so, Mike, I don't know where you're getting your sound bites, but either from your crippling porn addiction or you both share the same taste in sound bites. You and Angelina Castro is the porn star. I should give credit where credit is due. I also like the end of this clip where there's a real juxtaposition between the... Here, I'll play this. Here it is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, my God. And there's the... There's that sound bite again. 
<laughs> uh, I thought that was pretty funny. Let me play both. Let, let me play both Mike Mike's clip, Mike's jingle that he made for the show, and at the same time, I'm going to mix both with the, uh, the porn. You know, this would be so much better if you were hot. If you were hot. Yeah. All right, let's just get straight to my guest because this is a good one. A couple things before the interview starts. Uh, listen all the way to the end because we finish we finish the episode, and uh, and then as soon as we turn off the mics, I mentioned to Ryan, oh shit, we never brought up the first gig we ever did together. We did a hell gig together just outside of Orangeville here in uh, like an hour. An hour and a bit outside of Toronto. Anyway, so listen in the extras and uh, for that story. But otherwise, it's a great chat. Also, another disclaimer, this episode was, uh, or not episode, this part is now in the present, but the actual interview was done just after the uh, elections here in um, Canada, where Justin Trudeau won. This is like a day or two after, so in October, I think. I can't remember. Anyway, so that's why when we refer to the uh, to the elections, it just happened. That's why. So it was pretty on point at the time. Any hoozle, you're going to enjoy it because this is a great chat with a really good guy. Good actor, great actor, funny comedian. You're going to love it. Please give it up. Please give it up. What the hell am I doing? Am I emceeing a show? <laughs> I've never done that before on the show where I say, please give it up. Uh, enjoy my chat now with the one, the only. <laughs> Just drop the drink jingle. Dringle? There it is. All right, get me out of this. Ryan Horwood. Just like the flowers, laughing all day long. People I need to lose. Sing a little song, then take a shower. Julian Dion, comedy hour. Yeah, I heard you watch yeah, a movie and he makes yeah, you brunch. He makes you brunch <laughs> and then, and then uh, you pick apart the movie, but he also goes over the history of that year. So oh, when that movie oh, came out, oh, everything no that happened in that year. So it's also really fun. There you, there you go. go. I'm going to check that out. All right. That, of course, is my guest that you are hearing there uh, today. A sweet, a gentle, velvety voice. Uh, this man I like and appreciate dearly. Uh, we've done some gigs together, and uh, we've been trying to link this up for a long time. Long time. Long time. Like months and months yeah. and months. And uh, finally, he sits across from me here in Lemon Press Studios. Well, what can I say about this guy? If you've um, seen any comedy of the city of Toronto, you may have run into this guy. He's he's uh, he's a workhorse. He's out there doing the thing and uh, crushing the mics. On top of that, crushing the screen as well. Uh, you've seen him in numerous television commercials. I've got some of your shit here. Okay, Commer TV commercials uh, on YTV. You're a big hit on YTV, huh? Yeah, kids television. Kids dig this guy. Uh, it's so weird. And uh, so he's been on Monster Warriors, uh, How We Do It with Howie Mandel on A&E's Breakout Kings, and uh, also the host of YTV's Cash Craze. Yes. Yeah. Before that, I uh, I got to do a Disney a Disney sitcom. Over, overruled over, i see that here yeah, yeah that was the that was the, that was the weirdest that was the most fun i think out of all. was that like the big one the, well like it was the one that kind of um you know to go from commercials and then that was like a series regular the the thing i was the most excited about is that for this show i got to do an open uh sitcom open and have you know my name come up in the beginning of a tv show which is a trip you know yeah and they originally wanted me to just like walk out of the door and walk out of the door and then just smile or whatever and i was like oh god 
can I just do something? And if it works, you use it. And if it doesn't, whatever. So I did that classic like take where instead of just walking out the door, I'm like putting papers in a thing. And then I bump into the door frame and do that 80 sitcom thing where you catch the camera, you know, and then give it a smile. Yeah. You yeah. Know it's like, <laughs> like, oh, me and yeah, life. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and they fully used it. And it's fantastic. It's like I bump into the door frame, look at the camera and go, oh, geez. You know? <laughs> Like, oh life this yeah. is happening to me all yeah. the time that's what i got the biggest kick out of this but. is where the humor of life lies yeah ryan horwood sits in here thank you for doing this brother hey man thanks for having me i appreciate it you're a guy that uh obviously you wouldn't be here if i didn't think highly of your talent and your ability hey, uh, so on much. on uh, on stage and so and like i was telling you before we turned the mics on i just like to uh you know bring in friends in studio introduce them to people get them uh get the people to know the other side of ryan horwood uh, the dark shit. All right, we're gonna go fucking dark. <laughs> How long's the podcast? It gets dark. Seven hours. I okay, hope there might good. be just enough time. We do seven hours with one bathroom break. Oh, um, How was the audition? You just got back from an audition. Yeah, it was a weird one. This this is the kind of audition where if I didn't book it, then I'm failing at being me. Right. Because well, the, what was it? The breakdown was uh, Doug is his name, and it's uh, first of all, it's a, for a, a movie called Magic Mushrooms. Right up your alley. Right up my alley. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and the character Doug is a thirty-something dude that parties still uh, has no responsibilities in life, and most of his friends are younger than him. And I was just like, "You could have just wrote Ryan yeah. on the top of this." So if I don't book it, then I'm, if you don't book it, maybe you I'm need to get into banking or something. Yeah, reevaluate everything. I'm really garbage at my own life if I don't book this. <laughs> And what, what what did it uh, require of you, the audition? Uh, just a short one pager, like four lines kind of thing. Yeah? Yeah. And you felt good about it? Felt strong in the room? Ooh, they kept me in for like two more uh, auditions after that. Yeah. Now explain to me, you're an accomplished actor. You've been around the block. You've, how many how many years have you been auditioning and, and doing the thing? Oh, fuck. I've been auditioning for uh, 14 years now. Crazy. Yeah. And I've, last count, uh, 132 episodes of television. Wow. Which is for Canadian, bro. Yeah, for not anybody, bad. Not bad. American, and yeah. can, like anybody, really. You do 132 episodes of television. That's that's you, a you success. Know, it's uh, if you had it told like the eight year old me, mm-hmm. you know, like uh, that's what it's gonna be. I'm done. You know, like I would have been like, I'm gonna be on. okay. Yeah, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah, success. Check, yeah, check dream done. accomplished. And then you realize that it's Canadian, so it's like. Uh, it's not the same. I remember when we, it's only because like I, I, we used to go to these Disney things when I was working for Family Channel and Disney. And we talked to some of the American actors that would come to these parties and <laughs> like to find out, because you don't, you know, talk about actual numbers, but they give you an idea of what they're making per episode, like to do the same thing we're doing here. My God, I could have retired. Big difference. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the same for even stand up. I mean, Road Dogs down in the states making to the six figures just going club to club you know you here you, you <laughs> do you make four figures even <laughs> um, we do it to ourselves though i think i think what happened was is that we gave the industry to people that don't they don't get it they're not us Right. Do you think it'll change with the new government that was just elected? I apparently. I hope so. Like to be honest, I'm I'm working on a on a thing right now with uh, a couple of people that we're trying to pitch to CBC, and it's a, a sitcom that I've been working on for two years, and we are so close to sitting down for the pitch. We're like two three weeks away. It's legal shit that needs to be done now, agreements and all this other garbage. And it was terrifying to think that like. Harper would win a majority because if it did, I mean, what does that mean for people that are looking to pitch things for CBC? Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Apparently, uh, Trudeau is going to dump $338 million back into the, uh, the arts. Oh, which, my God. That and legalizing pot... Right? Come on. Did, no, I mean, it's a personal question, but did you did it go the way you wanted to, the election? You, you know, to be honest, I wanted somebody... I, I never like a majority government. Mm-hmm. I don't. I, I think uh, even if somebody seemed to be like the best choice ever, I don't want them to have a majority because I want there to be somebody pushing and pulling, you know? like yeah, I want some cooperation be, in there. And, yeah. and uh, so for those, for those non-Canadian listeners listening, just a quick... Uh, so we just had a big election in Canada. It was Massive. huge. It, w- it was... What was it? 89 or no, 79 days. Yeah, 79 it, days, which is huge for Canada. I mean, if you compare to the States, it's nothing, nothing really. Yeah, it's, you know, <laughs> they, they campaign for a year and a, month, uh, year and a half. If but, I had to watch those commercials for another goddamn right, year. Right. For us, it was our longest in, in uh, our history. And it was the first time ever that a, that a third place party, all, although it was the Liberal Party, they've been in power for many, many years, many times before. But it was the first time in history that a third place party, which happened after the 2011 also historical election, right. where the NDP, Jack Layton's NDP, made a huge... Got, you know, God rest his soul. Yeah. Good guy. Yeah, abso- absolutely. <clears throat> It was the first time in history that a third party, a third place party, uh, won a majority government, and um, majority. Not to bore the listener too much, majority means uh, the winning party has 170 seats or more, which is more than the official opposition and the other parties combined. Whereas if it's a minority government, yeah. it's harder to pass legislation. You kind of have to work together because. The opposition combined, all the other parties have more seats than you. So I, I don't even know if Trudeau saw this coming. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know. Honestly, I'd call the liberal minority. Uh, I, That's I, what I thought. I thought yeah, for honestly, sure. Thought, yeah. But when and, those first numbers oh came my in. God, when Atlantic Canada was <laughs> yeah, painted red, I'm like, like, oh, what the hell? Fuck yeah. yeah. Uh, anyways, all that to say, uh, hopefully, we'll. we'll It'd be nice because, you know, it, it it's so fucked how how talented we are here in Canada and we do it to ourselves. He's back. Oh my God. Yeah. I just flicked a little spider off my mic through it. The opposite room, uh, direction of the room. Anyways, it's back. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I would keep my eye on him. He doesn't look too happy. Uh, maybe he's radioactive. Right. That'd be fun. Uh, you know, with the politics, it's always, it's frustrating for me because I feel like we're so smart today, or at least that's what we tell ourselves. We're so much smarter than like years previous and stuff like that. Well, if that's the case, when do we shake things up? You know, we're still running our politics and our government on a structure that was built and, and is the same since the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's not to say that it's not flawed. It's flawed. You know, it's frustrating when it's uh, when government works like that, where it's like, you know, you just pick the least shitty person. Yeah, basically. So what, what would have been your ideal result of the election? Uh, you know, like I... I think probably the liberal minority and the, yeah. you know, it would have been the best. But like I said, it's all frustrating. It's like nothing is great. It's not, I, you can't tell me that if you were to take 10 of the smartest people we have here in Canada and then, and then make sure that those people are a broad range of like racial and ethnic, you know, and, and everybody's included, women, men, everything. And if you were to take these geniuses and put them in a room and, and get them to work on something, you can't tell me that they wouldn't come up with something better than what we got now. It seems like it's, 
It's just so old. Yeah, it's old. It's outdated. Uh, apparently, Trudeau is going to change that. We'll see. We'll yeah. see what happens. I mean, it's the weirdest thing because, like, here's something, right? Is that as Canadians, we shit on on uh, you American listeners. We would really we had a blast when you elected George W. Bush hmm. because that was hilarious. You well, it was very bad in some ways, but I mean, like, the man is a hilarious man, and and you did that. You you took a former president. And gave his son the job, and we laughed at you. And now what have we done? Here we are. Yeah. We took a former prime minister, and we got his moron son, and we gave him the job. Yeah, it's our you first know? ever political dynasty in this country. It's so right. weird, because like I think his heart's going to be in the right place and everything, and <sighs> there's a part of me that feels like the whole he's not ready thing. In lo- you know, in Might some be part- some truth to that. Yeah. Yeah. You know well, what I mean? mean? Again, we'll just have to wait and see. You got to wait and see. You got to wait and see. But there is a part of me that goes, this is the guy that's representing us on a global scale so that when we send somebody to do talking, uh, you know, to talk with with anybody, it's this guy. And I don't know how I feel about that. (laughs) It's funny. I read an article about all the articles that came out like all over the world the day after. (laughs) And everybody's so focused on his looks. It's um, pretty funny. But I'm... I'm excited to see what's going to happen with pot. I mean, I really hope it is legal. It should be. It's ridiculous that it's uh, that it's where it's at. Hopefully, we can be a leader in that sense. It's uh, archaic, you yeah. know, the idea that like uh, this is where we're at. You know, you watch these TED talks. A lot of them are really good. I like them. You know, I, I smoke the pot myself, and then when you watch a TED talk, all stone, they're even more fun. You know. And I was watching one about Charlotte's Web. Do you, you ever see this one? I have not. So. It's these really, really rich brothers that are all super educated. They live in Colorado and they're like these activist brothers. They're like, I think there's five of them, to be honest. And they're all scientists and stuff like that. And they basically created a strain of weed that they called the hippies disappointment, which is what they originally called it because they were able to take the, and I forget the name of them, the ribofloid something. It's the things that offer positive benefits in, in marijuana. They were able to take those and genetically boost those through the roof but then take away all of the THC. So you couldn't get stoned on it. And that's why they called it the hippie's disappointment. But then the name changed when uh, they started using uh, the hippie's disappointment with, with epileptic patients and whatnot. And one of them was a little girl named Charlotte. And Charlotte was five years old, four or five. And she uh, was having over 100 seizures a week to the point where at five, she was either having a seizure or recovering from one. She hadn't been able to learn the way that a normal kid would. You know, like she was, she was now like two, three years behind anyone else her own age because she's constantly having these seizures. To the point where her family put her on her like a do not resuscitate, you know, which is so fucking heavy. And they gave her this drug and uh, this uh, hippie's disappointment. And it took it from like 100 seizures to like one, maybe, if she had one. And then on top of that, they found that after doing studies that it had regenerative qualities so that like not only were they stopping the seizures, but they were getting their daughter back Yeah, you know, to go from a do not resuscitate. So then that was all wow. said and stuff like that, which is like, that's enough right there to say whether or not you get stoned on it is one thing. But fuck, are these like now there's families that are forced to pick up their lives and move to Colorado because they can't ship this anywhere. So there's these families leaving six-figure jobs, whatever it is, to just live in Colorado because they've got daughters or sons or whatever that are going through the same thing and know that they can stop it. So that's all. That's one thing. The one thing that really fucking tripped me out is that when these brothers did their homework and got into like all of the whatever, they found out that they knew about this. 
like in the 60s. And they buried the paperwork and never told anybody. But they actually like uncovered a shit ton of medical research that the American government had that proved to them in the 60s that marijuana would stop epileptic seizures in a lot of cases. Like, now think about how many years that is where people are going through, like my mom's epileptic, so I've seen grand mal seizures, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And to think that that was something that you knew was possible and then now for the last 50 or 60 years, you let people go through that shit without taking the time to look into it a little further just because it's weed? Yeah, well, it's weed and it's also money. I mean... So fucked. But it, it's so so hard to change people's, like to shift paradigms into thinking, you know, because those decisions are driven by, you know, pharmaceutical profits. Well, it's it's hard to flip those people's mentality to go there's as much money in marijuana it's like the coal like the coal people in the yeah, states yeah, yeah. for example you know coal is the dirtiest way to get energy but all these people are hell-bent on jobs my father was a coal miner his father was a coal miner yeah. not realizing that there's more jobs in solar for example yeah. um, cleaner energy yeah. so it's it's the same kind of thing i mean not not only the uh medicinal qualities because we know uh, alan park you know he's, oh, he's a comic he cured himself of cancer with thc oil and the, the and try and tell him he didn't like i you know what i believe he did I absolutely, I absolutely believe he did. Believe he absolutely, did. and uh, so on top of the the medicinal effects that the government may or may not already know about, as you suggest, and, and it's shame, shame, absolutely, shame. and that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think oh, of, really? of what that plant has to offer. So that's uh, medicinally speaking. Not to mention on a on an economy uh, economy level. Yeah, I mean, come on. The, the, the tax money, it. Tax it. And yeah. the money that we can generate for our country on pot, uh, not only that, the, the paper industry, yep. pulp and paper instead of trees. You're you know, worried about your kids smoking pot. What are you worried about? Are you worried about uh, your, your kids talking to guys they shouldn't talk to to have to get a bag of weed and stuff like that? Because it can get shady. You want to legalize it. And then now your kid can get uh, somebody who's 19 to go yeah. in and buy him a pack of joints. Well, that's just the thing. People you know think I mean? that, that, that but the product is now uh, is now something that's like regulated and everything like that. And it should take a lot of the scary things out of it, you know? Your kids are going to do what they're going to do. And they're going to get their hands on weed, whether it's legal or not. Exactly. Because, I mean, now people are getting their hands on it more, like, easier than alcohol. Teens can get pot. Way, way easier. Way easier, and it's not legal. So if it was legal that point you're taking it away from the hands of the yep. of the dealers yep. you're you're taxing it you're regulating it yep. and you have a little more control i mean look if there's anybody wants gonna, yeah there's always going to be a bootlegger there's always going to be somebody making their own obviously weed, but know? at least this way is if it's going to happen anyway yep. we can make money off of it the government and the country and the just to say like you know how many man hours and how much horse shit's wasted on trying to stop something that like if we you know if we legalize this in a couple of years how much money in the last 15 has been spent, uh, you know, on, on bullshit to try and stop it? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. And I mean, not to mention, like, people will claim that if it's illegal, it's more accessible to to teens and it will re ruin teens' lives. Think of how many lives are ruined. Mo more lives are ruined by being incarcerated or charged or having a... Drinking uh, a bunch of booze. Like, drinking a bunch of know, booze, but, but also with pot itself, more lives are ruined by having a small, nonviolent drug offense on your record... Oh, God, yeah. ...than not having yeah. that, th yeah. than, than finding weed at 15 <coughs> on your own. You know, it's more I'll damaging. I'll tell you, man, the day after I signed the contract to work with Disney, 
It was, uh, I mean, they're serious. They had somebody search my Facebook. Like they paid a guy that was that right? Yeah. They paid a guy that worked at a casting agency that was doing the casting because he was a friend of mine on my Facebook. And he told me beforehand, he's like, look, they're going to give me some money, but I work for them and it's put me in an awkward spot. I'm just telling you. And if you say no, I'll tell them to fuck off, whatever. I go, take the money. You know, they're going to find a way to look through my Facebook anyway. So he goes, okay, fine. And he took the money. And what do you mean? They were offering him money to Because they knew it was shady. Well, they just wanted access to my Facebook profile. They wanted to be able to look through my photos. So right. they gave him a little, and you know, I don't even know if I should be saying that, you know, because it's shady business. So wait, they paid him to look at your Facebook? Yeah, to look through my Facebook because they knew he was a friend of mine. And, and, oh, got yeah. it. And oh, because you have to be a friend to have access. Ac- yeah, you have to be a friend so to have access. so he approach this guy? And who works at the casting agency. Okay, yeah. And they were like, you happen to be a friend of his. Can we just look through his Facebook? And then I wonder how, then, much, how much money did they offer, did he I say? I don't know. He never said. Wow, that's yeah. interesting. Uh, it's weird. And then <clears throat> I got I got notes. On four photos that needed to be uh, shut yeah, the fuck up. What were the photos? Down. One of them had a bong in the background. One of them. Uh, did, there was how no, did they tell you that that someone's looked at your? Did they, they did you just get they, a random? I just got a random email from the thing up. saying uh, there's this photo, this photo, and this photo. If you could please take them down and get rid of them. What? Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, Disney is strict. While well, I was talking about Mandelson that was Ooh, here before Dylan know. Mandelson, yeah. I think he was episode he did the three. Disney, Disney cruises. He didn't did he? Disney cruises, and he got in trouble for saying this is so um, like pedestrian. He he got in trouble for saying he was on stage, and obviously there's so many rules to begin with on a regular cruise. But he was on a Disney cruise, so take that to the next level. The money is so good, but every story I've heard, I just never want to do it in my life. Right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he got in trouble for saying, um, "I I'm I'm gonna butcher it," but it was something along the lines of like. Uh, at some point in his life, someone asked him to play Mickey, but he he doesn't do a good uh, Mickey Mouse. He he plays a much better Goofy. Something along those like yeah. just a stupid one throwaway one liner, and yeah. he got in trouble because he's like nobody plays Goofy. Goofy is, is goofy. goofy. Oh my god! <laughs> so you can't break the illusion. You can't it, it talk all... about you know being inside <laughs> Not, of yeah. Nothing surprises the me. suit. Nothing surprises me with those people. Uh, back to my original question, right. because we started, um, I was going to ask you, you said you went into this audition, because t- uh, on the podcast, right. I talk a lot about auditioning, and because and, I'm new at it, I'm like yeah. a year and a half in. Oh, I've auditioned yeah. probably 120 times. I've booked like oh, two okay. things. And so I, it's kind of a running joke on the thing, like another one and book nothing. And you said that they kept you in longer. Is that a good sign? It depends. There's one of two things, right? It's... Um, if you're making a guy wait that's reading for the same role as you and he's in there, he's ready to go and they ask you to go in and do it again, that's good. Wait, what do you mean? Like, so like, <clears throat> I'm reading for Doug. Okay. And in the room, when I come out of the first audition, there's a guy who's reading for Doug too. He's waiting to go in, right? And they have an Ivan and a Michael. These are the other two characters that were in the scene. Uh, so they have a Doug, Ivan, and Michael ready to go. And I've just come out. And anytime they stop you and go, can we just see you one more time? And then they ask Ivan and Michael, the guys who are playing Ivan and Michael, to come up and join me. And then they'll say to the guy who's waiting to play Doug, can you just wait and go in with the next group? That's great for me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it doesn't matter to this guy. You know, he could go in and have a great audition himself. But if, if they're bumping a guy who's already ready to go to see you a second time with different people, then that means... Oh, so you'll actually come out of the room. Yeah, came out of the room. And they'll say, don't go home. Yeah, and they'll say, you know, don't go anywhere. 
uh, we'd like to see you again. Oh and, yeah, that's and, a good and sign. Generally, that's good. Sometimes it's whatever. You know, like it's good if there's somebody waiting and they want to see you because they want to see you. Right. Sometimes you'll come out and they'll say, um, "Yeah, can we see you again? You, do you mind?" And when they say, "Do you mind?" Whatever. Generally, it means uh, the Doug for the next group isn't there. Right. Right. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah, and they yeah, want to yeah. send. They want to. Do you send, mind? Like this yeah. is, you're doing us a favor. Yeah. Like, exactly. You know. Right. So uh, so it can go two ways. The, but you still do the favor. Because somebody's going to remember it. They're going to appreciate it, you know, because it might get them out of there 20 minutes earlier. Everybody that's there, they want to leave, mm-hmm. you know? So yeah, it's work go, for leave. You know, and I got, if I have 10 minutes, I'll stick around and do it. And the situation it was today, there was another Doug there. So that's a good thing. You know, if you come out and they go, we want to see you again, we want to see you with two different people. That means that they're already, let's bounce some other faces off of this guy. That's always a good thing. And when is it a bad thing if if you're in there longer? Because because yeah. because I always try to gauge it. Because I'll go in. You know the roles I go for. There's always a couple of us at least going in for the thing. Yeah. If it's commercial, I'll bump that number way up. But yeah, if yeah. it's small uh, TV or film role, yeah, there's you know a handful of us. Yeah. Generally, you start to see the same guys over and over again. Oh man, it's yeah. crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's such yeah. a small world. Really, yeah. only like a year and a bit in, I'm seeing yeah. the same people. Uh, even in the casting studios, oh, that yeah. they know you and. So, uh, but I've had, I've had this go either way where a guy before me auditioning for the same role will go in and like 10 seconds later, he's out. Yeah. Then I'll go in and, uh, I'm there two, three times as long and I'm like, oh shit, but never book anything. But it's still good though. Or the opposites happened where the, the, the guy in front of me goes in, he's there for a long fucking time. I go in, do it once. They'll like, try it again this way, do it. And they're like, great. Thanks. Have a good day. Then leave. Both cases, I'm like, fuck, what does that mean? Yeah. You know what? To be perfectly honest, this is, uh, and, and it's something that I want to do actually in the city because I've looked it up. There's people that do these workshops for young actors. And I've looked, I've looked at a few of them and, uh, there's not, there's not one person I don't think that's doing any of these workshops in Toronto that has as, as much on set experience as I, as I have. Right. And, you know, they're teaching something that they might know, but how much do they know practically? You know, I don't know. I, I don't want to knock anyone down. But, like, when you look at the... Anyway, for the price they're charging, it's fucking asinine. Get just, into it, bro. So I'm thinking about doing it. I'm thinking about doing it for friends for free. And then if anyone else that's there, you know, if they ask, you say, uh, yeah, of course I paid them, you know, for my friends. But then take these things that, like, some of them are fucking two days long. And I've been doing this, you know, 14, 15 years. And, and I'm positive that in four hours I could give somebody like my 14 years of experience. You well, yeah, I mean? because, and, and, and those things are valuable. I mean, people knock on classes, especially when it comes to stand up. Yeah. For me, I'm kind of like of two minds. I'm like, yeah, okay, sure. You should be able to do when it comes to stand up specifically, you should do you as yeah. much as you can up there. But at the same time, if you sign up for a class that creates an environment that, that a comfortable nurturing environment that will yeah. push you in the right direction, give you a nudge to actually just do it, then fuck do it. Well, that's the thing, you know, like it's 14 years and I've gone to thousands and thousands of auditions and, and I'm not, um, you know, I'm not the fucking smartest guy or anything like that. But if I can give somebody something that's going to save them some time. You know what I mean? Absolutely. But cuz I mean there's so many things specific to acting that if you don't know, you're just not doing and, right. And you know like an hour of that 4 hours would actually be acting. Right. Because so much of it, I'll tell you right now, you want if you want to see uh, uh this will be my my um this will be my little secret for for Julian and and moving forward in this next year as far as your auditioning is concerned. Stop worrying about the role. 
and don't don't worry so much about the actual project that you're going to audition for. Uh, it's too many times I've gone into a room and when people are waiting to go in for the audition, you see these guys, they're racking their fucking brains, you know what I mean? And they're they're pacing and they're staring at this thing. And you know what? Like it might be three pages of dialogue or whatever. You're going to have to get used to a lot more, anybody. You know, like when I was doing that Disney show, sometimes it was like 20 pages of dialogue I would get at 10 p.m. and I'd have to be on set at 7 a.m. and have 20 pages. And then you're breaking up the day like when, oh, if we're shooting this in the afternoon, I can fucking learn this on, on my lunch break. That's fucking craziness. <laughs> So when you're there, instead of worrying about the audition, instead of stressing about the actual gig, treat going in as an audition or going in for an audition as an opportunity to make some headway networking wise, you know, and when you walk into the building, everything else, you know, you leave at the door. Like a lot of people will say, you know, in any job, you just leave your own shit at the door. And when you go in there, it's a, like so much of auditioning and getting work in this city is about the way that you carry yourself. You know, when when these people are racking their brains over two or three pages and they're going crazy, what they forget is that people that work there are walking through that room. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And like if I'm hiring somebody as a casting agent and that's my job, then a large part of my job is just putting somebody on set where I'm not going to get a phone call and have somebody be, who the fuck is this weirdo you put on my set? So instead of like, uh, you know, racking my brain over shit like that, when I'm there and other, other guys are acting as if they haven't, you know, looked at the sides yet, they're just learning them. I'm catching up with Andrew or I'm catching up with Shasta or I'm whatever, you know, and it's not fake. Like these are friends of mine after all this time. But what it shows is that like, look, I'm a professional at this. This is two pages, two pages of dialogue. I'm here with a smile on my face. It's Tuesday. This is just part of my day. I'm going to go in. I'm going to nail it. But in that time that I enter the room and I leave the building, I'm nothing but sunshine. I make sure to say hi to everybody. And, and even though I, most of the time I do not, you try to make it look like you got your shit together, you know? Yeah, that's really what, what the what the recurring thing that comes. I had Jake Goldsby in here from, from Degrassi, and uh, he was saying, like, if, if you just enjoy the process and yeah. don't give a shit, yeah. that's when you start booking things. Yeah, yeah. What about like in the room itself? Because you say it's it's for you an opportunity for networking and you catch up with people. What about when you get in when you, the room and when there's you, four people behind the casting table? Right. What right. do you do when you're in there? You set yourself apart a little bit and you set yourself apart by not being fake. You're not being fake. But for me, what's always done it is that I've taken a very small town uh, approach to it. A very like uh, a very earnest like um, I take the wall away from between me and a lot of the times one of the things I'll do is I'll walk up and I'll introduce myself and shake a hand you know you'd be surprised how many times like when there's like especially clients or whatever and uh, and they're behind the thing I might be the only one that day that takes the four or five steps forward and actually offers to shake their hand and say hi mm -hmm. you know it's it's genuine I'm honestly saying hi to these people for me it's easier to remember them in the future. Like when I've shaken their hand, I've looked at their face. I can go into an audition a year from now and go, I fucking, I've auditioned for this guy before. I remember him. Sometimes funny things will happen. They'll have like a, a director sometimes Skyped in from LA or something like that. And you shake the hands and you get to his, uh, his monitor and you give him like a fake monitor shake, you know, and everybody gets a kick out of it. But what you've done is you've, uh, you've been you've given yourself, uh, humanized yourself. You're not just another one of the lemmings that are coming in, lining up, doing the same fucking thing and leaving. Right. You're you're a person. It's so funny how there's such different schools of thought on on that. Cause I cause I I come from a business and sales background where I would yeah. see that working. Yeah. 
hundred percent, right? Yeah. Why not? And like you said, you set yourself apart. But on the flip side, I remember talking. I was at this. I took acting classes, and I and I um, like Meisner, and I, there was this this uh, monologue night, and where all these industry people come and watch. And I was talking to a casting director, and he said the most irritating thing is when someone comes in and introduces themselves. I guess it probably boils down to what you said. It's real when you do it. It's maybe if, yeah, it's, if, if, if it's, it's fake. Yeah, if it completely seems like that's what you're doing. But like, you know, I'm lucky enough and I've always gotten away with it. But, you know, it's on stage, whether it's doing stand up or whatever, where it's like, I do have a bit of a small town quality to to the way I carry myself. And, yeah. and, uh, and if I'm shaking your hand, it's with a smile. And it's not, it's not like, hey, how you doing? Right. Ryan Horwood here. Fucking big news. What I'm doing is like, uh, you know, hey, Gary, how you doing? I, I Okay, I got to go back up here and do this thing for a second, but it's nice seeing you. Yeah, yeah, okay, I got it. Because you know he was I mean? like, he, he, he was saying, um, you know, when I'm sitting behind the casting table and someone comes and shakes her, we're just like, Ugh, just get the job. He's, he was saying for him the most impressive thing was when someone walks in, they do the job, knock it out of the park, and yeah. leave, right? Yeah. It's like, this is what I got. Yeah. Here's where it is. Yeah. So I guess there's there's well you know sometimes I guess you got to consider that like people put some weight on the on the stuff that they've written for these people to read and and unfortunately for them I mean if you read most of it it's fucking a lot of it's garbage. Yeah, yeah. It really is. Like until you get on set and something starts being made there's still going to be three or four different rewrites versions or rewrites and yeah. stuff like that. And a lot of the time you read these auditions and you're like how the fuck did this get made? Yeah. Like, how is this getting made right now? What's your strategy for for learning lines? Like you said, on Disney, you'd get at 10 p.m. 20 pages of dialogue. Yeah. What do you do? Well, it, you know, that was like really trial by fire. Like I, I had had uh, other gigs where I'd have, you know, like uh, for for one day, I'd have like a lot of lines. But this was like fucking. I would basically get uh, my lift home from uh, from set. And then I would climb up my step, get up my steps. I'm dragging my ass because I've been on set since like 6.30 and now it's like 9, 9.30. And, uh, and I open the mailbox and there's like, you know, your 15 or 20 pages of, of sides for the next morning. And then it's a balancing act of like, how much can I learn before I have to go to bed to get five and a half or six hours of sleep so that I can get back on set and not be dragging my ass the next day the whole day. So you'd get to like fucking 12.30 quarter to one you know you got to be up at six and it's 12 30 quarter to one you haven't stopped because the second you got home i'm making food and i'm learning the lines for the next day but then you you know it gets to be 12 30 one o'clock and you're like fuck i don't have it all but i need to fucking sleep you know so then you're like looking at the breakdown for when they're going to shoot what the next day and then that's when you'll take a scene and go well they're not shooting this till three i've got my one hour lunch i guess i'm learning this one on lunch you yep. know so it gets pretty wild and i would say the, you know here's the trick for learning a shit ton of lines and it served me super super well and it's my trick i don't know if anybody else does this but i'll say the words as i'm learning it you know what i mean um but i'm not remember i'm not memorizing words i'm memorizing the story and i'm memorizing what's happening the gist of it the, yeah, yeah you know and as long as you're memorizing the story and and you know from your character's point of view you know, you're trying to really, you're just trying to think of it as a memory for that person so that it's like, it's legit that way, you know? And then when you're saying the words and you're, you're concentrating on just remembering what it is and not the words, not the individual words, what you find is at some point the actual individual words fall out of your mouth, you know? 
because yeah, because then you get behind what you're actually saying, and then you can just when you understand it, exactly. then the words make sense. Then the words make sense, and they just follow. Like if you were to have to think, well, like here's a paragraph now, and I've got to learn. That's uh, fifty different individual words, and I gotta, I gotta remember them in this order and say them and stuff like that. Well, that's fucking crazy, you know what I mean? Yeah. When but you if break you, it down like that, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you look at it as just like this paragraph, uh, I have an example here. So I'll pull up. Uh, so the, basically, the the idea is that like in any paragraph, oh, who was it? I was helping somebody with an audition. The idea of the audition that I was helping somebody with the other day in the first paragraph. They laid out uh, the character they were reading for was a host of a TV show on a TV show. So it was, you know, uh, meta meta. Yeah. And uh, and and they were having a real time with it. And I said, look, look at the first paragraph. It's just his name. He's introducing the show. And then he's using three different uh, things to explain what the show is all about. But like like emotions, whatever. So that's easy. That whole paragraph. That's what he's doing. Introducing himself, introducing the show. And then he's attaching these three action words to the show to tell you what you're in for. But it was like a paragraph. But when he thought about it like that, then it just, then it's, you know, it's easier. It's three things. He's remembering three things. He's remembering that he starts off by introducing himself. He introduces the show, ba, ba, ba. It's easier to remember three things than, than that like a paragraph, paragraph of lines. Right? right. And then as long as you say that enough times while you're learning it and you know it, and then you know what they're talking about, you know the, you know what's happening. Then the words happen. The words just fall out properly. At least that's what I've learned. I know? think I'll give you 50 bucks for this lesson after we're done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so the other thing. Your is, first class. If I were to do that, it would be something I would want to make uh, financially accessible. I mean, like uh, you see some of the prices of these fucking things. And I go, you know, you're supposed to be actors yourself. Right. Do you know? It's like you forget where you yeah, came exactly. from. Yeah, exactly. You forget that these... So if I were to do something like that, and I've been talking to a couple of places, one's the Drake, and, and uh, I know a couple of people there, and he said that maybe he'll give me like the Drake Underground in an afternoon. Just, mm-hmm. you know, nothing's happening there anyway, and it's a beautiful space with a stage, so there's a lot we could do. But I'm talking like 50 bucks mm-hmm. for four and a half hours. Half hour lunch or whatever, but two hours here, two hours there. And for all these young comics and stuff that are doing auditioning and stuff, it'd be great. To, to give him a leg up. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's um, ammunition because the most important thing, and it's why you take classes to begin with, mm-hmm. is to feel strong in the room. Yeah. Because, I mean, there's so many elements that are out of con- your control mm-hmm. that if you can do everything that's within your control, yeah. uh, I mean, you're just that much stronger. And then if you don't book the part, it's not so fucking uh, heart-wrenching. It's it should, like, well, I did yeah, my best. Not booking the part should always... Uh, man, you can't, it's got to be like a goaltender's mentality in the NHL. You know, it's like the next game. Right. Because to be honest, I mean, like if there's, there's so many, there's so many projects that have come along that I've loved so much. And especially when I was really young doing this. And those are the ones that I'd really tear myself up on. You know, it's like uh, some of them might've been better pay, might've been better, whatever. But then like the projects where you read it, you really feel like, holy shit, I would love to play this character. You don't get those ones early on. It kills you. You know, mm-hmm. like you're like, fuck, I had a great audition. What the hell? You know? And then after 10 years plus, you know, you realize that like you're going to get what you get and uh, whatever you don't get, it's just, that's the way it goes. And it's not a, it's not a comment on you being shitty because what happens is, is that, uh, you know, casting agents and stuff decide in the first fucking 
you know, 10 seconds you walk in, they, oh, man. they don't even have to listen to you. That's the thing. And there's so many factors that come into play when you're doing these things. Yeah. I mean, the, the person's mood that day, like literally. Everything. The muffin they had that morning could have been shit. And then now the rest of the day, they're like, I don't, you know, we're auditioning tomorrow, but fuck these people today. This is a recurring theme with all the actors I've had on. That's, that's really what the message is. So it's not you, everybody. It's them. Uh, Ryan Horwood, let me take a short break. And um, I love, I'm loving this chat because I personally am getting a lot from it. Uh, so we're going to take a short break. I'm going to play a quick song by uh, Jackie Brown in front of the show, guest of the show, Jackie Brown. You know her, you love her. This track is called uh, Perfect Guy, and uh, that's it. It's off her album uh, right here, Jackie Brown. We'll get back.
new sponsor alert. I'm excited about this one. Toronto listeners, a GTA, Great Tour, Toronto, Arior. This one is for you. Via Norte Restaurant, located at 983 College Street. Two-time recipient of the Mark of Excellence Top Choice Award. This place offers you the best Portuguese and Mediterranean cuisine in the city. I got to tell you, I've been here myself, and it's the food is absolutely incredible. Chef Zemanuel Alvage, he just nails it. He brings you the ambiance, the feel, the food. Nobody's more passionate than this guy. And not only is it an incredible restaurant, but also the new home of the Julian Dion Comedy Hour live shows coming at you every single Wednesday starting April 13th. That's right. The show is back after just over a year hiatus. We're back coming at you every Wednesday at Via Norte Restaurant located 983 College Street. Bring a date. Get yourself out there. Open Monday through Saturday. Via Norte Restaurant 983 College Street here in Toronto. Do it. Do it. Today. All right, we're back with my guest Ryan Horwood. He's mm-hmm. having a ham sandwich that he was forced into buying. Yeah. Um. So we were talking about acting. I'm I'm digging this uh, chat, by the way, because I'm getting a lot um from it. You said you started this at an early age. What age did you get into the acting game? First of all, where are you from? Are you from here? No, no. You no, said I'm your gone. small town. Yeah. I read two numbers different: eight hundred population, eight hundred. Yeah. Another bio said population a thousand. Yeah, where a are lot you from? of people moved. Right. <laughs> yeah. Where are no, you from? It's uh, South River, which is uh, you know on your way to North Bay. All right. Tiny, tiny little place. I'm gonna guess not the most artistically supportive area. Actually, you know what? You'd be well. No, you're right. Um, However, it's like uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of hipsters, a lot of hippie people have mm-hmm. moved up uh, in in our neck of the woods. You know, it's cheap living, and if you can find a job up there, which is, you know, there's not a lot, but um, they actually have the South River Arts Festival every summer. Oh, nice! Which is that? That's probably the end of it. Right. I mean, growing up, I never had the option of going to like an art school or anything like that. Right. <coughs> like when you so was acting uh, comedy acting. Mm. We'll get into which one came first, but was that always a, a dream of yours, a passion? You know, it's uh, so funny that uh, it's it's one of those things where we're all, we're the class clowns, you know? It's mm-hmm. kind of where it starts, I guess. And comedy is uh, bred from tragedy, they say, and I guess uh, the one thing I've always said is it's like, especially for comics, like if I was an actor and just an actor, I guess, I, maybe it would be different. But for comics, people are always like, I can't believe you're so funny and that you go up and you do that. And what you have to explain to people is that I've been doing this since I was five. Mm-hmm. You know? Right, exactly. Like, like firefighters, if you're a firefighter, you're 25 fucking years old and you're the best firefighter in the world, you're still not going to be a better firefighter than the guy who started at five. You know? And it's just what we, it's just fully, it's just what we do. And if you're the class clown, it progresses into one thing and another. And the next thing you know, I got into high school and in grade nine, I still am, you know, even though he's gone, but I was such a massive Chris Farley fan. <coughs> and that's like he was such a giant influence on me and uh in grade nine in front of the entire school uh i did a matt foley sketch hmm, and nice. you know the high yeah. school we went to north bay for high school is an hour and a half to get there but the high school had twice as many people in the high school than we did in the small town i was from and uh you know it's like 1500 students and i was in grade nine and i don't know why i had the nuts to do it or whatever but that's where it started and then right through high school i was like the student president one year and like but it was like every gathering of some sort, I was doing a sketch or doing something to make. What do you mean you had to go an hour and a half to go to school? 
I got on a bus at 7.05 and got to school at 8.40. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Holy yeah. shit. Yeah. And, okay, so you do this this Matt Foley sketch in high school, and when do you get the, the bug to, to make this a thing? I, I guess- never, after that, after, you know, grade nine, that was it. I didn't pay attention to fucking anything in high school. I had a group of friends that were so convinced I was going to be the next Chris Farley that like, they were just like, well, you know, it's not long before you leave. There's no other option. Yeah. You know, and how did your parents react being from a small town? My mom, I want to be an actor. My mom was incredibly supportive. She was worried about me, but, um, she's, you know, she, my mom is, uh, probably the most, uh, you know, like anybody would say, but like, I love my mom so much. And if you listen to her life story, she's just like, kicked so many times you know like uh my dad and and that whole you know the divorce thing and then you know right after her dad dies and she's had epilepsy her whole life and then a car accident that almost killed her in 96 and like you know broken back broken everything like she's gone through so much uh garbage and there's so much that in her life she wanted to do and then never really got the same kind of support and and she lived sort of maybe something you know a little bit of more of a simple life than what she wanted so mm-hmm. When this is something I wanted for myself, she was really cool. She was just like, she actually kicked me out of the house, to be honest. To do it. Yeah. At 18, she was worried that if I got comfortable in Seth River, I would take a job at like the local lumber mill, which is what everybody does. And which you probably would have. And I did work there, actually, yeah. for a short time. <laughs> I did work there. But she, I guess she thought that like uh, I would get comfortable making whatever the money is and I would just never jump. Mm. So she kicked me out. You got to jump. That That's amazing. That's a blessing. What do you mean the, the forest thing you said, dad, the forest thing? Yeah, uh, they, the divorce. They got the... Oh, the, the divorce yeah, they, thing. Yeah, they got I thought the, you said the forest. No, the, oh, yeah, oh. The, the forest. Like what happened in the woods? Yeah. I'm your father. <laughs> the forest. But uh, I, yeah, they got the divorce. And then uh, and then like that same year, my mom's dad died at, at 65 or 66. So like way before, I guess anyone expected. And, you know, before she just always, she's always had it, uh, you know, a little bit tough. Yeah. And uh, so when I was like, I'm just going to shoot for the stars and go crazy. She was just like, Jesus, I wish I could have. And, and um, you know, she's just supported me the whole time. And uh, that's amazing. I mean, she must be proud of you. So proud of you now. So wh- where did you go from high school? High school? I, uh, I, I <laughs> so you graduate high school. Graduated high school. You're in South River. Yeah. And then you got, want to be an actor slash comedian. Got kicked out of my house and uh, put together $700 cash. I had a thousand dollar visa. With a thousand dollar limit, seven hundred dollars cash, and I had my first and last month's rent paid for. But then that's it, and then just moved to Toronto and thought I was moving to Toronto. When I got to Toronto, I was like, I'm in Toronto, and I live in this place. And then someone was like, Psst, Highway 27 in Rexdale is not Toronto. <laughs> Hilarious. And I was like, what? This isn't Toronto? It looks like Toronto. So I was up there and then traveling all the way the fuck downtown to go to Second City classes. Oh, you, you did the Second City That's thing. where I started. No when I go, Yeah, okay, when I got shit. 18, I started the Second City. And Which, I, like the improv? Like level, yeah, cla- the conservatory like stuff. I didn't start with A... I told them I have too much experience to start. Hilarious. <laughs> Which is such bullshit. I did Matt Foley in high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I <laughs> am funnier than this. A shit. And then uh, and then I started at B and I think I finished uh, like, I don't know how many levels it was, but it was like six weeks at a time and I did it for like over a year. So I'm pretty sure I, I ah, fuck it so long ago. And then sketch and improv and stuff were okay. How long ago was that? How old are you? 35 now. 35, all right. Fucking old man. Yeah. Half a life ago. Oh, shit. Practically. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And then that's where it started. But like, fuck, Toronto was hard when I first got here. You know, like I moved in this place. We're talking, you know, 17 years ago. 
18 it, years ago and my rent 18 years ago was 750 a month wow for like a shit place and it was like nobody i didn't know enough for somebody to be like that's fucking too much mm. you're a kid you've got no fucking money so yeah it was tough in the first time. I ended up taking a job as a as a strip club DJ. No shit. Yeah, the Manhattan Strip on Highway 27. Don't go there. It's uh, it's a really horrible joint. And Is it I don't. Still open? I think so. Probably. Yeah. I don't go to strip clubs ever since working there. Like I just I have buddies that'll be like, you want to go to the strip club? And I'm like, nope. I've never been into strip clubs. I got to be honest. I've been obviously. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a monster. I've been there, but I've never. Uh, I've, yeah. You know Peter White. Oh, yeah. Coming from Halifax. Yeah, yeah. We started together, and he used to do this bit on stage where he's like, yeah, strip clubs are a good idea. It's like, hey, 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 guy friends, let's all go get horny and leave in the same car together. It's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I've never really been into that. You know those guys who want to sit close to each other with boners? Yeah. Yeah, no thanks. But that strip club job was fucked. You know, when I got there- You must have seen the most fucked up shit. <laughs> I was Green Acres, you know, because I was like fucking- 18 i here's the thing my first shift there was two weeks before my 19th birthday how do you get a shift at a fucking i just walked in and i was like hey i'm a comedian i told my comedian i'm not a comedian at this point but i told him i go i'm a comedian i work uh, i i know i don't work but i was like i was taking the classes at second city and to me i saw the ad for the for the job in the paper because at the time you know that's what you still use the paper a lot and yeah. uh and it was the fucking money was insane and it was only six hour shifts and it was just on what the, kind of money was it $80 cash from the bar mm -hmm. for the end, like at the end of your shift. Mm -hmm. But then every girl that was working had to pay you 20 bucks. And, no sometimes, and sometimes there was like 14 girls working. No fucking shit. Yeah. So then you're, you know, like, fuck, are you kidding me? 280 bucks plus your 80 from the bar. That's one six hour shift. And I would walk out of there with sometimes 320, 340. What? Yeah. I want to get a DJ. See, but that's the thing though. That money is like pennies and nickels compared to the money that everybody else that's working there is making. So they right. don't even scoff at it. They're like, oh, you're walking out here with 320. Every one of these girls are walking out here with two and a half grand, you know, or whatever. Fuck, I want to be a stripper. Yeah, fuck. But you know what? It's uh, the, the guy who gave me the job. He's, uh, if you want to imagine what this guy looked like, he looked like, uh, <laughs> he looked like uh, Oswald Cobblepot uh, from Batman Returns, like Danny DeVito, kind of like he was like the short, fat guy. And except for he, he had a voice like uh, like this, you know? And when I get there, it's my first fucking day. And the guy goes, he goes, okay, here's where you're going to put the stool. And then when you got the stool here, you get her to sit right about here. And I go, what, what the fuck are you talking about? And he goes, well, this is where you, you put the stool so you can catch a blowjob and not get caught. No shit. This is before he taught me how to turn the fucking music on. So before or, your actual job description starts, yeah, yeah. this is where you get head in the corner. This is where you get head in your booth so that nobody that's there watching the shows or buying a drink is going to catch you. This is the first thing he fucking tells me. And then I'm like, well, what the fuck are you telling me that for? And then I find out as I work there that the, a lot of the strippers, as opposed to giving you the $20 dance and light fee that they have to pay you. They'll suck you up. Yeah, would rather give you a blowjob. Then to give you 20 bucks that they earned. Okay, tell me, how many times has this happened? I said no every time. Seriously? I but did. Was it a nightly thing? Yeah, nightly, easily one of them would ask you nightly. What or, did they or, say? Can I suck you instead of giving you this 20? Yeah. Why would they care if they're making two grand? Because what do they care if it's like fucking, they suck a dick. <laughs> it's like sh shaking a fucking hand. I don't know. They don't give a fuck. It's like I suck this guy's dick for like four minutes and I keep my 20 bucks. <laughs> Four minutes, that's pretty generous. Well, yeah, yeah you know. <laughs> but like uh, I said, you know, at the time, I moved into this place with a roommate. And my roommate, uh, you know, I, 
we'll call her Salma because she looked like she was a knockout. She looked just like Salma Hayek at the time, mm. you know, hubba hubba. And she was 29 and I was just 19 and I lived with her and I guess we had hooked up once before, but then we were both moving to Toronto. We needed roommates and we were like, okay, but we're just not going to fool around. We're just going to be roommates. And that's, you know, it never yeah. works. Uh, we're watching a movie as, as roommates, you know, and we're not even through the first like 10 minutes next thing you know, we're fucking. So she would pick me up from this job to take me home in her, what the fuck kind of car? What a shit box. But she would come and she would pick me up from this job. And I was just so young that like in my head, I couldn't, imagine i wouldn't do it now today but i'm just saying like you know i couldn't imagine catching a a beach from some girl and then climbing into the car with her to go home like it just was so i always said no and then it got to the point where a lot of the girls would would have met selma and then they stopped like a lot of it stopped because they met her and whatever and then there was the one time where uh (laughs) i got i got uh i got uh raped did you? Yeah, a little bit. Blowjob raped. Right. A little bit. You're not getting yeah. any sympathy from me. No, I know. It was the weirdest <laughs> thing. She was a feature and she had came. Ah, fuck, I'll never forget her name. Portia DeShane was her feature name. And uh, she had. she's just there for a weekend. She's like a feature act. She comes in. She gets paid way more and she does whatever. And I guess she was downstairs. This is what I found out after because, of course, I'm not there. I'm up in the booth. And what I find out after is that she was downstairs and actually asked all the girls, like, who's, uh, you know, sucking the DJ's dick or something, you know? Like, who's fucking that guy? And uh, and and they were all like, they were all like, no, he's told us no. He's told every one of us no. Like, not one of us have, have sucked his dick, and, and he's got a girlfriend, I think. She picks him up or whatever, and, sh- and she was just like, what? And I guess she was like, oh, we'll see about this. And, and like, now it goes to where I remember it, where I'm sitting in the fucking booth and this girl who I've only met like two hours ago because it's Friday night or something and she's just gotten to the club, fires me up onto the counter and is like through my belt and my, my button and my pants in like second, like a second. And she's stronger than I am. She was fucking legitimately well, strong. Yeah, little nineteen-year-old. I'm nineteen-year-old. Yeah, but she honestly spends her life spinning around a fucking pole. You know what right, I mean? Right. Like she was jacked, and she just a lot fucking, of core strength in there. Yeah, and I'd like to say that I got a raging boner, and then said to her, "No, even though I could." That's not what happened. I couldn't get hard to fucking save my life. Why I, were you just intimidated I by was her t- sheer power? Terrified, you know. <laughs> I was fucking 19, maybe by a, a week or two. You know what I mean? And uh, and on top of that, I'm from South River. It's a small place. And this girl was a gorgeous black woman. And, and like, I've, at this point, spent my entire youth knowing one black person my entire yeah, life. You yeah. know what I mean? And, uh, fuck, I don't know. I was just intimidated as fuck. And, like, uh, there is not, I couldn't have got a boner to save a family member's life. Like, <laughs> If somebody had a gun to somebody's head, there's no way I was going to be like... What do you think it was? Were you thinking of Selma or were you just like, I ju- I just, I'm just scared? I was just... The whole thing came out of fucking nowhere for me. Like, I was counting up my getting ready to leave kind of whatever or getting ready to start a shift. I wasn't when were even, When were the offers happening? Was it at the end of the at shift? At the end of the shift, yeah. yeah. Because a lot of them would wait till the end of the night to, like, you know, give you the money that they owe you. Right. Yeah. Oh, my God. How long did you keep that job? You know, I was paying so much in rent and everything that even though, like, it wasn't my speed and, like... I, like it was my, I don't know. It was so much, so much fucking, you know, 
crazy shit went out of the basement of that place and stuff like that. Like uh, I can't even imagine. Well, I mean, I can, but well, just- like I, I mean, there's stuff that I don't even know. Like uh, if I want to say because well, it's criminal, criminal shit, and all of this stuff, and it was just not. I, I was two green acres for it, and it was right. like fucking harshing my uh, my vibe. You know what I mean? Like it was like just fucking bummer bumming so me how out. do you go from making hand over fists and strip clubs to not what, what was the decision there? i put away money for like when i decided that i wasn't going to do the job anymore it was like two months before i ended up actually quitting and then i was moving downtown further downtown anyway so for that like two months i was couch surfing not paying rent and then putting away everything i could and then i just had like a chunk of like five or six grand or something like that and moved down downtown like downtown and quit and then just like i'll tell you something though when that five or six grand like started to run out there was a part of me that was like i was like 20 now like now i'm like 20 years old and there was a part of me that was like holy fuck i need to maybe call that guy and get that fucking job back. i never did but i mean the money was three six hour shifts a week i was making like we're talking 17 years ago and i was making almost a thousand dollars a week just wow and I mean, you're you're a guy that can obviously handle himself physically. Uh, is that a requirement to work as a DJ? In I'll, t- I'll tell you something. I got punched harder in the face in that job than I've ever been punched in my life. Really? And by a guy who was about a foot shorter than I am. And what happened there? This guy came in. He's like a jacked Filipino dude, and he uh, it was like no no taller than like five. Because as a DJ, five, so you're six. you're you're off into in the booth. There's one bouncer for the whole place. Okay. And uh, and I called him. Uh, he was like, uh, he looked like like a like Goldberg, but but a black dude, like shaved head, goatee, traps for fucking date. Like he was jacked, and that was the one bouncer. And then there's me, and then there's a head waitress, who if there's anything with chicks, she would deal with it. And then I'm in the booth, and uh, and I get called down out of the booth because this guy came into the strip club, went into the VIP room with his girlfriend. They didn't buy a drink or anything, and they just started fuck. Like in the VIP room. Yeah. Like uh, he's yanked his shorts down. She's wearing a skirt and riding them in the VIP room. So uh, Black Goldberg comes up to me and he goes, hey, you want to give me a hand? But We got to fucking get these guys out of here. Um, Is that expected of you when you're a DJ? Uh, or I don't know if it's like ex- if you were a smaller guy, would he still come and be like, probably Yo, not, yeah, probably no, right. not, you know? But uh, he goes, you know, you just give me a hand because I don't know. Because the guy was Jack. I mean, the guy, the bouncer was Jack, but this little field Filipino dude, he was fucking like five, six, but he was like a brick shit house, you know? Tattoos everywhere. I think the bouncer is like legitimately like this guy looks like a rough dude, you know? So we get into the VIP room and the bouncer goes, get off. And you both have to get the fuck out of here. And the guy waves him off and goes, get out of here. Gives him one of those like, you're, you're, you're bothering me while yeah. I'm trying to fuck my girlfriend. Get out of here. Yeah, like sending off the help. Yeah. We're good. And the guy goes, hey, I don't think you get it. This is stopping right now either way. And the head waitress grabbed the chick. And she pulled the chick off. And the chick pulls up, literally pulled, him, pulled her off the guy's dick. You know what I mean? Like literally. And now the guy's cock's hanging out. His pants are like half done up or whatever. And Black Goldberg grabs him. Uh, and picks him up off the couch and the guy goes to struggle a little bit like he was going to try and punch him and I grabbed the free arm and now we got him wrapped up and now I've got one arm Black Goldberg's got the other arm and we're taking him out the front of the fucking strip club and then lights out and I'm fucking next thing you know I'm picking my ass up off the ground my fucking nose is busted knocked you out yeah no shit. And uh, I'm picking myself up, and my eyes are just water, and I can't see a goddamn thing because you know you get hit in the button right in the nose, and your oh. eyes instantly water. You can't see a goddamn thing. So my eyes are watering, and then I find out after that, like I had my arm, 
And I guess he just got away from him with the other arm and just kept it moving and just swung over himself and hit me right in the button. Fuck. And I'm holding him tight. So it's basically like I held him in a good spot to get like, a, <laughs> yeah. you know, like, so he knocks me out. And then when I, when I, uh, when I get my shit back together, I look up and Black Goldberg's got him by both arms now. And he's got his head resting between his pecs and he gives me a wink. <laughs> And you just yeah. fucking unleash? You just well, yeah. One good shot? I gave him one good one. In the in the chin? I tried to hit him in the chin, and I remember he kind of like tried to turn his head out of it, and uh, and Black Goldberg tried to put his face back with a peck, you know, so, <laughs> yeah, 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 so that he couldn't get out of it. But then it ended up being worse for him anyway. He tried to turn out of it. I think if I remember correctly, I punched him in the side of the neck. And Oof. like, you get punched in the side of the neck, and it lights out, because it, just, it out. just hits that corded artery. And oh, then yeah. But and that's that, the, that one you'll feel for a few days after. That's too. the worst I've ever been punched, though. I've never, like, I've been punched quite a bit. But uh, Are you a martial arts guy? I was when I was younger. Yeah, you we see? Did a, we did uh, a lot of Shotokan karate when we were kids. Yeah? Yeah. And so because of that, or... Yeah, no, I it's mean, not, just growing up in yeah, a small town... I you, think that's what it is. Like, especially where we're from, uh, you could have a problem with somebody and settle it and not have to worry about people kicking you in the head while you're fighting. Right. Like, I've seen guys grab, you know, their own buddies... And give them a shot just because they they jumped in when they shouldn't have. Like there's a bit of a code still where I'm from. So it was like, you know, you could have a problem with somebody and you just settled it. But for me, a lot of the scraps and a lot of that stuff happened, you know, uh, because I was, you know, after my mom and my dad's divorce, we were living in Toronto when I was just, you know, like not even five years old. When we moved up to the middle of nowhere, all of these parents are, have been friends their whole lives. Their kids have been friends since they were fucking babies. And then you're the new kid at six years old in grade one. And it's just where it started for me. You know, the first little kid that came up to me and was like, uh, you know, you know, go fuck your hat. I was like, I just, I gave him the prison, you know, the, the, you know, thing where it was just like, I might be new. I'm going to fucking slap all of you. And that's where it started. And then it wasn't, it wasn't long, uh, where that got old. And then it went from like, you know, I could probably do better just being funny. Right. You know, you used, but when I was such to, an angry kid though when I was young. Were you? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. It's all stemming from the divorce, you think? Yeah, all yeah. of that for the most part, you know, because also, like, you know, I don't get into it too much, but like, you know, it was uh, my dad's an Irish cop. You know what I mean? So it's like it was a tough household at mm -hmm. times, you know? Yeah, I can so, imagine. So, uh, you know, you get some fucking other eight year old talking shit to you. It's like, are you kidding me? You're not even a six foot cop. D Darren Rose has a, this great bit about. Um, his parents getting divorced when he was like four months old and the punchline is so obviously it was my fault <laughs> yeah. is there any any element of that is that is there's truth to that do you as a kid when you're going through that do you think it's your fault yeah for me no but for my brother maybe like i feel is your brother younger my brother's younger mm -hmm. and i i i love you know my brother like uh he's my brother but you know, I've always looked out for him. I feel like a, like a little bit of a parent, you know, and he's only three, three years, a little, a little bit more, you know, but when I was born and, and when my mom and it was me and my dad, that was still a family my dad was trying to have, you know, by the time my brother had been born, he was already cheating. You know, he was already mm -hmm. doing, he was already doing whatever the fuck he was doing. Right. And if that's the case, <clears throat> my brother was guilt for him you know my brother being born and everything like that he's you know he's born into a family my dad already wants no part of now you know so like i was always the firstborn son and i got uh, and i got i can remember one time my dad took me to the mall for my birthday 
and let me buy whatever I wanted. And then that same year forgot to call my brother on his birthday to even say happy birthday. You know? Yeah. Wow. What a difference. Like and a it, contrast. And it's like. That will fuck with somebody. It, like, man. Like my, what's your little bro like now? Is he good? He's, he's good. But like he went through a fucking tough, a tough spell where he was kind of trying to deal with. It. I remember like for a while, you know, he would drink. My brother would drink like fucking crazy. And when he could still smoke in bars, my brother was going through like a really. And it wasn't a catalyst. There was no one catalyst that really set it off. It's just he was becoming a man and he was finally having to come to grips with all of the feelings and everything. Because we at this point didn't even really have any contact with my dad. But he started to go on this weird fucking spin where shit was falling all over the place for him. But you could tell that he was just like dealing with that. And when you could still smoke in a bar, and my brother is the nicest fucking guy in the world. When you could still smoke in a bar when he was going through all of this. I can remember him taking a drag from a cigarette and having it still be like half a half a smoke and just flicking it behind him into a busy bar. Is that right? Yeah. Just did like, not just, give a fuck. Just did not give a fuck. Like a lit smoke and he just flicked it over his shoulder behind him into a, into a fucking full bar. And like that kind of shit. The kind of shit where like he didn't have the jacket for it and he would like in the dead of winter in North Bay where it's fucking minus 40, he would just like try to walk home. And like when we finally realized that like he's not there anymore and we all get into a cab, it was like try and find him on the way home in the cab, you know, and like just like really, really bad for a while. But, you know, you you find ways to turn off certain things or you deal with them. And I think he I think he turned them off. And how's your relationship now with your your both your parents? It's so weird. My mom and uh, my mom and my brother, and uh, and I'll say even my stepdad, who's a better better father than my dad ever was. But uh, it's you know it's great. I, I I don't I'm not there for them. Are they all in South River? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's what makes it tough, is that I'm not there for them. What does uh, your brother do? Does he work at the at the? You know what's funny is that he worked with uh, uh, he worked with youth at risk for the longest time, where he was a uh, a social worker and you know both of us grew up doing a lot of camping and outdoor stuff and uh and so he would take youth at risk into algonquin park and you know you take them camping and try to work with them and stuff like that and he did it for a long time but then like uh you know there's only so many of those stories you can hear before your heart breaks and my brother had one that was particularly like fucking really tough and when a kid decides that they want you as a counselor like you can't fight that you 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 run with it because like you know you don't assign a counselor to a kid and say this is who you're going to talk to because if they don't feel comfortable they don't feel comfortable so this girl felt comfortable this young girl felt comfortable talking to my brother but you know without all the gory details and it's gory enough but she was a 14 year old retired prostitute and it's because when she was eight or nine years old her mother who was a prostitute started offering up her and her daughter at the same at the same time that's the tip of the iceberg and and I can't imagine, you know, and then and that's just one story of like several mm-hmm. years he did that job. And I think just a, it became enough. So he needed a giant life change and uh, and I was doing cash craze and I talked to a friend that worked in crew and, and production and I said, look, if you give my brother a job, I promise that you're going to have to ask him uh, to take a break before you have to ask him to get back to work, you know, because he's that kind of a guy. And uh, without, you know, the schooling at Ryerson, without all of the other horse shit that you have to do to get on set to work, you know, IATSE and to do all that stuff, they gave him a crack. Wow. And, you know, he's to the point now where not only did he not let them down, but without any Ryerson education or anything like that in the film and television business, he's now a dolly grip. 
You know, he went from like literally just the guy that would watch a generator to make sure that it doesn't go off to now he's dolly gripping and doing lighting and stuff. And he fucking loves his life. So I'm really, really proud of him, you know, cause he works really hard. All oh, thanks to you, man. Yeah. You know, I, I, I got his foot in the door, but it's, it's really, he busts his yeah, ass. Yeah, you're right. You know? Right. Yeah. He busts his ass. I even told him, I go, Hey man, I, you know, I know the way you can work, but you got to do it for this. Don't fuck this Don't up. Don't fuck this up. Cause it's, you know, it's my reputation. And if you're going to vouch for anybody, you vouch for your brother. It's a big deal vouching for people. And yeah, if you're going to vouch for everyone, do it for your family but it, it's a bigger deal than people think people oh, will just just throw down and especially the situation i'm in i'm the, i was the only talent on this tv show so it's like uh you know when i ask for a favor like that and i didn't ask for much you know i wasn't one of those guys like uh, anytime i've done a show people have had it pretty fucking easy with me on set because i'm not demanding at all but that was one thing after two seasons one thing where i asked and you know they made it happen it's pretty nice Let's um, let's quickly go back to. So you leave the the strip club job, yeah. And you're now you're living downtown, yeah. And you make the dive deep into show business. Yeah. What's what's that like? Where you go? Okay, I got to make this a career for myself, so I'm not a DJ in yeah. a fucking strip club forever. Oh, oh, Was there a point where you you re- you thought I have to? There's no plan B. I got a, or was there a plan B? Or? Never, never was a plan B because, because there's a lot to this life that a lot of people, I guess, put, put a lot of stock in that I just don't give a shit about. Mm-hmm. And I never have like, you could give me all the money in the world. I don't care about fuck. If I wanted money, I would have become a doctor. You know what I mean? Not that I could have, maybe, I don't know. But like, uh, you know, it t- it's taken me 15 years to get to where I am now. I could have been a doctor twice over if money's what I wanted. I don't feel like at the end of your days. You're laying on your deathbed. If somebody asked you, hey, you got $600,000 in your account, you're going to die. You have $600,000 in your account. And, and I don't think there's too many people that wouldn't trade every fucking penny for just two weeks of more memories that you didn't, you yeah. know? So yeah, it's a quote by Robert Browning that's always made this really easy for me. He's like the, you know, the Scottish poet. And he's a quote that, that from the, and it's like weird. They, they, uh, my mom gave me these quotes and you rip them open for the day or whatever, you know? we're fucking talking 20 years ago 18 years ago and i still have it uh i still have it but it's it's uh the aim even if not reached makes great the life and i really like that it's just something to strive for it's just yeah it's like always shoot for something always shoot for something but god it's not it's like that end goal is not what's made my life beautiful you know like uh i'm not where i thought i would be at this at this point but i've still done more than you know what maybe I could I don't know but like would I trade everything like all the stories and every all the, the shows that I've done and everything would I trade that for more money fuck no like the people I've met the parties the just the things that like especially when I talk to friends that have been married and have kids for the last fucking 15 years and you know I watch them listening to like me just telling it like what happened last week and they're in fucking awe Cause it's not the life that they have, mm-hmm. you know? And it's like, I don't have those things. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. I don't have that kind of thing, but fuck man. Have I ever had a good time? Yeah. yeah. And that, and that really is uh, where it's all at. I mean, we make these, I, we, I think just being in show business in general, we make these sacrifices, you know, the, 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 the kids, the home, 
the family, we kind of put that on the back burner. And to some people, people oh, like outside looking in, that seems incredibly depressing. Yeah. But God damn it, the ride is so much fun. It's so much fun. It, and that's depressing for me, is that these people find it depressing. It's like... Uh, right. You know? Yeah. I don't know, man. Like, uh, to buy a big home and to settle down and all that stuff, it's never been... Like, I don't understand how when you walk out onto the street... Not everyone's running around with their fucking arms in the air going, I can't believe it's almost over. <laughs> I know. You right? know what I mean? Like we're yeah. here for such a fucking blink. I know. The idea of setting yourself up so you can be comfortable to just fucking do nothing. Man, it's retarded. I Pick a job you want to do until you die. And just do and it. And then just do it. Because like I, I don't, people talk about retirement. I never want to retire. Yeah. I, I mean, want to be doing stand up and, and acting until I'm fucking a pagoda. It's and it's the same when you get good reference by the way. It's the same when you get into comedy for example. People tell you, "Well, it takes 10 years to be a great comedian, okay?" Yeah. Most of us think, "Well, it's going to be different for me." But still, uh, they say it takes at least at least 10 years to be any good at it. You you say that to anybody that's not in the business and that is an incredibly depressing notion. Yeah. But when you're in it, yeah. There's nothing more fun. Yeah. I mean the 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 journey from 0 to 10 years. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's just take for sake of argument that 10 year block. Yeah. Okay, let's say at 10 years you're really actually finally good and where you're at as far as creative output goes. Yeah. But from that 0 to 10 years, you've gone on the road. You've gotten paid for your dream. You've gotten you've worked with people that you admired Respected. before yeah. even getting into it. I yeah. mean, that's all part of when it. When you can count some of those people as your friends. So many little victories along the way. Oh, God. Flash forwarding now to like, you know, 15, 15 years in or whatever it is. Uh, the idea that like guys like Scott Thompson are a friend. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, that's fucking, fucking crazy. It's fucking phenomenal. You know, think it's about like, that. It's, really think about it's that. It's fucking wild. Tell your 11 year old self that you're friends with Scott yeah, Thompson. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and, and, Fuck, man. If it's not Scott, then it's another guy. You can name drop forever. Yeah, of course. The the people that you've been able to... But that's a great example. Yeah, man. People you've been able to meet and hang out with. It's just a goddamn trip. Ryan Horwood, uh, I cannot thank you enough for doing this. And I'm going to have you back, actually. I had a blast. Literally, I'm not blowing smoke. This is one of the funnest interviews I've done because it's just real. Yeah. We've always gotten along uh, really well. You're a good man to ride the river with. Before we go for the close, and I'll have you back in here because we didn't talk about any of your comedy or anything. We just talked life, which, yeah. which again, I love. Yeah, man, I love it. I love we it. We just kind of shoot the shit and go Life's from there. What, anything you want to plug, give me your Twitter, your Facebook, your Instagram, uh, your website. It's your Twitter. Give, drop yeah, it's it. just my name, at Ryan Horwood, at H-O-R uh, Wood. It's a bit of a weird H-O-R last Wood. name. Yeah, yeah. It's like Hooker Bush or Slat Sticks. <laughs> Okay. Was that ever like an early joke? No, I have no. never used it on stage, but I should. It's, it's actually just the thing I used to explain my name, you know? Uh, whore Lumber. Whore Lumber. Yeah. Thanks for doing it. We'll do hey, part two so soon. Thank you so much. And watch your head. Waste of time. And there it is, folks. Another one in the books. Thanks to my guest, Ryan Horwood, for doing the episode. Always fun catching up. With that, cat. thanks to you for listening. Always, I appreciate it. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at JD Comedy Hour. Uh, like the page on Facebook.com slash JD Comedy Hour. And email the show, pod at jdcomedyhour.com. Thanks to my producer, Adam Foxy, Cleopatra Fox, and my sound engineer, Maz Lacroix. And uh, what else? I don't know. I can't think of anything. anything you, any last words you want to add? Let's, uh...
Into the mic. Oh, yeah. Last <laughs> words. Uh, let's hope Trudeau does something. Uh, let's good. hope Trudeau yeah, does yeah, something. Yeah. Um, thanks a lot for listening. From Lemon Press Studios, this is Julian Dion saying, as always, watch your head. I'm just a thin, nervous shadow walking backwards down the street. The landing's bitter, but the following is oh so sweet. It's just a waste of time. So we are in overtime, like I said, and because uh, because we took the mics and the cans off, we turned everything off. But yeah, we did a gig one time, where I guess it would have been the gig where we first really yeah, it's the first time that we gigged, you know, where we had like a one night or yeah, we we're on the road somewhere. And this was in uh, Beaton, Ontario. Beaton, Ontario, which is north. Yeah, north. Uh, it's around. I think it's around Barry, Orangeville. Orangeville. Barry, yeah, 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 yeah. Small town. What a show. And it's for drunk firefighters. Not just a little drunk. And volunteer firefighters. Was it a Christmas party? Yeah, it was a Christmas Christmas party for volunteer firefighters uh, who were all, most of them are failed OHL hockey players. (laughs) (laughs) And they were just like, you know, God love them for saving people with the fires and whatnot. I don't know how many fires are happening in Beaton, Ontario, (laughs) but... uh, but we walked into like a shit show. These guys were fucking hammered. They were blackout by the yeah, time yeah, we got yeah. there. They were so hammered. I knew right away I was going to be fine because uh, because my shit is so fucking sophomoric in a lot of ways. You right. know what I mean? That it was like, I'm going to go up there and go fart, fart, you know, and yeah. they're just going to be like, <laughs> and then, uh, and I, but I, I was opening up for you and I went first. And then it just gave them more time to get even more fucking wasted. They, but I didn't. I did not do my act that night. I don't think I did one bit. I, I can remember at one point, because a lot of the time when someone when when a room is fucked, 
at least you know why it's fucked and you can make some sense of it. You know what I mean? Or you can go, well, here's where I missed it or here's where they missed it. It's not me. It's these fucking idiots. That was like, I mean, they were, they were wasted and disruptive and fucked up, but in a way that made no sense. There wasn't even anything one person said that you could grab and then go with because it was nonsensical gibberish. And let's paint the picture. We're in this tiny room, yeah. well lit. The lights are all on. Oh, all yeah. the fluorescent yeah. lighting in the room. Well, that's the key is that they were fluorescents too. Yeah. And every fucking fluorescent was on. <laughs> it was a really well lit room. And it felt like giving a, a presentation to a class. It was all, like all these desks and tables like lined up yep. with just super hammered people. And I knew we were in for a fun night when we got in. And the organizers were like fucking blackout. And they're oh, showing yeah. us where like our quote green room is. And we go there. Yeah. And uh, you go up, you do your thing, great job, and you're, again, they're just drunk. They're you're, drunk morons. They're and I went up and just tried to, I don't even remember. Well, I, I, I felt bad because I felt bad uh, for you in this respect is that it's like it was nothing that you didn't, it's it, like these rednecks from wherever the fuck they were took one look at you and were like, nope, this is where hipster started. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like they were just like they yeah. were like you. You have a set. You could have fucking annihilated them yeah. if they were if they were gonna give you more than five seconds and actually fucking listen to you. It was like an auction where I would say something and then they would say something. Like yeah. they would just it. It was. A I remember you saying at one point, and and that's when I was like, "This is fucking so fucked." And, <laughs> and I remember you saying at one point into the mic. I don't even know what's happening right now. <laughs> and when you like, when you looked at all of them, you're like, I don't even, I don't even know what's happening right now. It was just a shit show. It was. A I shit would show. say something because I attempted many a time to, to to do my act. Yeah, but then I just pulled the plug on it. Eventually, yeah. I just thought, let me just. It was just a free for all. It was yep. like I would say one or two sentences. Yeah. And, and it was like, okay, let's open it up for discussion. Who has something to say here? Oh, and God. Like, and they were cracking each other up and not making any sense. Like, uh, rah, rah, rah. inside jokes. Sense. Inside yeah. jokes, inside jokes. But then I, eventually, um, I remember someone, they were pretty drunk too, but eventually someone was just like, I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah, I remember this. There yeah. was like somebody, and it. <sighs> It was more than one person. There was like a, a table of people that I think were dejected by or like they're really upset by the fact that like, you know, they got to listen to these fucking morons, which they can listen to all the time. Right. They're not going anywhere. They're from beaten. And then now, you know, they take the time and the money to pull us in. And, and now they're not even listening. And there was there was a table of people that were just like, well, you just shut up for two seconds and let them do some yeah. jokes. But, you know, Gary, Scooter and fucking Smokey were all too goddamn <laughs> wasted that they didn't give a shit. Yeah, and it, it, again, it was just one of those gigs where you leave. I, like, I don't even remember feeling too terribly about the no. gig. I just, it was just one of those things. You well, can't, you yeah. can't even feel terrible about a gig like that because you're set up to fail. I, the, the fuck, the most fucked up gig I've ever done in my life. I got asked to do an appearance, uh, or or to do some comedy, at a fundraiser for a, for a little boy named Noah who was dying of cancer. And now Noah's Noah survived. You know, he wasn't supposed to, but the guy really, you know, he pulled out the little guy. So good. But this is at a time where he's in the hospital at Sick Kids, and now they've got the arena filled with people for this fundraiser. And, uh, fuck. 
So I'm doing the Disney show at the time. That's part of why they had me there too, but I'm supposed to do comedy. And just before I go out, they have um, Noah's grade six class. Join him on stage or not join him. He's, he's in the hospital, but the grade six class comes onto the stage, lines up uh, tallest to shortest in a choir like fashion. <laughs> so they're in a choir, you know, and then the teacher that's running the whole thing goes up and he takes this white, the screen, the drop screen, pulls it down and they put a video on. And the video is Noah who's passing away from cancer. <laughs> but the video is, is his face. And then the teacher explains to the entire auditorium. Uh, now, uh, as many of you know, uh, Noah loves to sing and his favorite song is Joy to the World. <laughs> and uh, Noah's grade six class is going to join Noah in singing Joy to the World. Was he Skyping? Because, no, they had tape of Noah singing Joy to the World <laughs> previously. And now he's on the thing. So Noah starts to sing Joy to the World. And, uh, and we're, not, we're not talking Joy about the... No, no, not that one. We're talking about uh, Jeremiah. Yeah, that's, that's a Christmas was song, right? Right, oh, right, yeah, yeah. right, right. John to the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah, know that one, right, yeah. Right. Oh, the boys and girls. And uh, so uh, Noah starts singing, and all of his grade six class starts singing too. And they get about halfway through the song, and the one little girl in the front starts to cry. And then another little kid starts to cry. And before they can finish the song, the entire grade six class are holding each other and sobbing on stage, <laughs> sobbing. There's parents that are now coming onto the stage to peel their kid away from the rest of the kids to hug them. <laughs> but meanwhile, nobody has stopped the video of Noah who Singing. continues to sing <laughs> Joy to the World over all of the tears and over all of the fucking sadness. So the song ends and the parents scoot the kids off the stage and there's hugging and the whole fucking place is crying. And the teacher walks out and you can hear his fucking footsteps and he grabs the drop screen and he yanks it and it goes back up into the thing to, to whimpering and quiet. And then he walks up to the mic and says, ladies and gentlemen, now for a very funny comedian, Ryan Horwood. <laughs> like, are you fucking oh, fuck. kidding me? Like, Oh my God. The worst ever. That was the worst. And I didn't do a single goddamn joke. There was no comedy after that. Like, I just decided, I was like, I'm not telling yeah. jokes. How long did you have to do? I had to cover 10 minutes or 15 minutes or something. That's so I, I went out and I covered 10 minutes of just, and all I did was I tried to make it okay for everybody. You know, I just like talked to them <laughs> and like tried to talk yeah. everybody down from yeah. crying and stuff. But I remember Nug, uh, Nug, Sandy Joben Bevins. And one other person were there from the Second City yeah. Tour Co. And they were expected to do some comedy right after me. And I left them with a stage where they could do that. Because I had like talked everybody through the fact that we all got a good cry out. You know what I mean? And I, and I, I said, uh, but then by the time I brought them up, I mean, Sandy said to me after the show, he was like, Jesus Christ, thank you so much. He's like, I didn't know what you were going to do. But whatever it was, I was hoping that it would leave us in a position to do what we drove all the way up here to do, which yeah. is like, you know, yeah. kid-friendly sketches. And, you know, you can't do that to a whole room of people bawling their eyes out. What a fucking gig that one was. Oh, my God. That's crazy. Yeah, that's that's worse than the beaten gig. I remember the beaten gig at the end because we had to bring back a check. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Remember the guy that was supposed to pay us was like beyond blackout drunk? Yeah, he could, just we, to track him down. Yeah, we couldn't track him down. It wasn't even a big place. It's just he was fucking drunk and wandering. It's like a, yeah, uh, anyways. Uh, thanks for that story, bro.
There you go. That's it. A lot of fun. That's that.